Let's talk about the plague of pornography for just a minute. Wow, this is one of the biggest issues that so many deal with in these latter days, but few talk about it or even know how to talk about it. And when they do talk about it, it's usually in a private setting with a leader who is expected to know how to navigate struggles with pornography. Thankfully, Leading Saints has put together a remarkable resource called Liberating Saints. It's a virtual library with 25 plus presentations focused on helping leaders be better prepared to help someone overcome struggles with pornography. We cover topics like how to minimize shame in the bishop's office, how to talk with children about pornography, and even how to talk about female pornography use in Relief Society. If you'd like to review the Liberating Saints library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're, uh, they're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Dave Olson, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, you were just released as a bishop about two weeks ago from the time we were recording. Is that right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was in for just over just over five years. Nice. And man, it should be like required that every release bishop or relief society president has to come through the Leading Saints machine and, uh, you know, share their perspective. Right. Obviously, that'd be a lot of a lot of interviews. But uh, this is a cool time to record something like this where you're I would imagine at least I was in a very reflective uh, state of mind as you think back on these on those uh, years of serving as bishop yeah it's a great way to think about it um i've i've been reflecting over the last couple of weeks and yeah just really thinking a lot about the experiences i've had and what i what i could learn for myself what i would you know share with any other other bishops or other leaders that are going in so yeah it's a, nice. it's a good time to be talking about it Cool. Very cool. And you are in a daybreak and maybe explain to people who are not from utah the uh what, what daybreak is, where it's at, and that sort of thing. 
Sure. Daybreak's a master plan community in the Southwest Valley of the Salt Lake Valley. And it's actually in the city of South Jordan, Utah. And so um, we've been here, been here about 10 years now. And the, yeah, the community and the um, amenities and the lake and um, just the the atmosphere here is what, what drew us here. Um, nice. So it's, we really, really enjoy living here. And um, yeah. And you got the Ochre Mountain Temple right there, basically in your neighborhood, you could say. Right. We do, yeah. I'm actually looking out my window right now. I can see, I can see the top of it here. So. Nice. Now, um, typically, what I hear with people who've lived in in Daybreak, uh, they've experienced a lot of award splitting. Is, have you gone through a few of those? So I actually just barely missed that. So I'm in in Founders Park in one of the first areas, and oh, okay. I think the last award split was just after we we moved in, and we're in a little little corner of the of the the stake that has been pretty has been stable the whole time we've been here. But yeah, yeah definitely a lot of a lot of splits. I think um, we have some family um, in the in the subdivision as well, and they were here when it was just all one daybreak was all one ward, and um, I'm not even sure now. I think it may be four stakes if I. Yeah, at least, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, is there a story of uh, when you were called? Like, what, what do you remember from uh, getting called in and extended that, the calling of bishop? Yeah, I remember that well. Um, but the, the, my my story of being called goes, goes hand in hand with starting my business, actually. Because um, about five and a half years ago, I was a um, contract CFO and I was doing uh, accounting and bookkeeping for small businesses. And I was really thinking about expanding my business. And it was on February 1st, I created a partnership um, with with a, with another firm. And we launched a brand new business on February 1st of 2018. Well, it was February 1st, 2018, that I got called into the state president's office. And oh my it, was, it was called the bishop. So um, it was definitely a crazy time launching that business and being being called at the same time. Um, so yeah. And obviously the daybreak area, those, I mean, really any, any place in the Salt Lake Valley, but in these planned communities, it seems like they, you know, some of the areas they almost build the houses on top of each other, but it's, it's very, I mean, it's very saturated area for, for Latter-day Saints. Is, is that how you would describe your ward? It is. Yeah. And I don't know the exact percentage. I would say maybe half or a little less of the houses are members of the church. Um, and the, our, a lot of the houses in our neighborhood were built in the mid 2000s. And mm-hmm. so a lot of families moved in at that point. So then there's a huge nursery and a huge primary. When we moved in about 10 years ago, that wave of, of demographics had started coming to the youth program. And so most of my time as a bishop, we had a huge, a huge youth program. And most of the adults are in the kind of the, right now in the 40 to 55 age range. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you say huge youth program, like roughly how many youth did you have on average? So it, earlier on, we had around 100, a little over 100. Um, at, at one wow. point, it was actually my son's age. We, we had 32 priests on the record, and it was too big for the bishop's office. We had probably 20, 25 attending regularly. Wow. So, that was, so where did you hold the priest quorum? So we, we found we got the biggest classroom. Um, nice. <laughs> we, we, had, we had to go there for a while. And then that, that wave went through all those... Um, youth are in the 19, 20 year age range. So there, a lot of them are on missions now or going to college and yeah. it really, really dropped off. I think we only have, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but maybe 40, 40 or so youth. Oh, okay. A little bit more manageable, right? Yeah. When I, nice. when I got released, we had, you know, five or six priests coming, coming regularly. So 
definitely nice. definitely a change over that time and what do you remember just beginning that calling as bishop um because i'm sure with with hindsight maybe you go back and give yourself specific advice of how to start off as a bishop but i don't know what what do you remember from just walking into that role and what you tried what worked what didn't yeah that's a good question i think the the big thing for me especially given my situation in in starting the business and also my my kids were 13, 11, and nine when I got called. So that was a kind of critical time in their lives. So I was really intentional from the beginning about not doing, but uh, two ways of looking at it, not doing anything that I didn't have to do as a bishop. So I was very intentional about delegating to everyone else. Um, unless I felt specifically prompted to, to do something myself, whether it be um, going to visit or reach out to someone or do something that you know, maybe wasn't in my typical responsibilities, but I would, you know, look for specific promptings to do that. Um, otherwise, it was always delegating as much as possible. Cool. And then um, with uh, the, the amount of youth, I mean, you had in your ward, I, I, I would imagine you had that uh, dialed into a well-oiled machine as far as the yearly interviews and advancements and things like that. Uh, anything you learned just from setting up that that structure? Yeah, just staying organized was a big part of it. Um, we had to had to dial it in to um, to stay on top of everything. So um, we we kind of evolved over time. Especially, you know, I was called uh, two weeks after President Nelson became prophet and president of the church. And as as we all remember, that was a, a, yeah. a crazy time with the, <laughs> a rush of a rush of changes. Um, and one of those changes was the uh, the change in the youth progression age at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, we navigated that as far as, you know, do we stick with the annual and semi-annual interview or do we um, batch the interviews in the first, first of the year and middle of the year? So we experimented with, with different options, but we, we did settle on doing a lot of the interviews at the beginning of the year and, and the middle of the year and then catching up throughout the year. So that, that helped, um, it made for busy times, but it helped um, do do all those at, at once. It's, it's kind yeah. of what we, we lean towards. Is there any other aspect or characteristic of your ward that would set it apart from the typical, you know, Salt Lake Valley type of ward? What what, what made it unique? It's pretty probably pretty standard Salt Lake Valley ward. I think um, it was just the, the everything combined into a similar demographic, I think was, it was probably unique The adults mm -hmm. being very similar ages and the youth, um, having that, that bubble and so, and very, very small primary during that time. So it's really the whole word. And, and maybe that's what makes it most unique is the whole word is really focused on the youth. You know, almost every family in the ward had somebody in the youth program. And so everything really revolved around um, what we did as a youth and yep. you know, from act activities to camps to, our youth discussions we'd have um, in my home, things like that. It was all, all focused on the youth. So I don't know if there'd be anything here, but um, there's this con there's this dynamic that I refer to as the, the tyranny of experience when it comes to especially Utah wards or high saturated areas of Latter-day Saints, where I would imagine in your ward, like you were just released, someone was called as bishop, but really on paper, there's probably 40 men who could probably be bishop and they'd be a great bishop, right? And so it's sort of unique where maybe if you were in, you know, Timbuktu, Kansas or whatever. It's like, you know, there's two guys and it's your turn now. And, you know, you're the bishop now. Is, is there, was it difficult to sort of manage that? Or did you notice that as far as like 
finding a place for everybody to feel fulfilled in their church calling, whatnot, because there's only one elders quorum president, one bishop, two counselors, right? And but there's so much experience or so much ability um, in the ward uh, to contribute. Yeah, I would say that that is a challenge. We, you're exactly right. We have a ton of experience in the ward. Um, many men could have been bishop. Um, you know, as we look for any any you know major calling, I guess you could say that, like the um, ward council, for example. You know, there's many to choose from, and we had to, you know, as I worked with my my counselors in in. The, selecting these for these callings we attempted to take into account the whole history of the ward as far as we knew it um like who had been had their turn as young women's president and at least study president before um, because there's there's such a depth of experience and we don't want to kind of reuse the same people and also you know make sure nobody fell through the crack that's that's you know fully capable of, of filling these callings and and what you said about making it fulfilling as well was, was challenging because we have, we have so many people that are able and willing to serve and, you know, only, only so many callings. So I think, um, a lot of the time it was, the challenge was filling, uh, was giving people meaningful, meaningful responsibilities. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, that's sort of the tough thing. Cause you know, I was a Bishop in my late twenties in South Salt Lake and it was, the opportunity was there because we were in inner city war. There's, there wasn't a lot of established, you know, families. And at the end of the day, I was maybe one of two people that were uh, not going to move and could be considered. And, but nonetheless, that was like such a remarkable opportunity for me to be, have that opportunity at a young age. But you know, in some of these other areas, it's like, man, you know, we'd love to give guys more opportunity, guys or gals, more opportunity to serve, but it's just, there's just so many, you know, to, and we want to make sure that the, the opportunities are there for many. And of course, you know, there's revelation in there and all that, which is, which is assumed. So let's jump into some of these uh, leadership principles that you sent me. I'm really intrigued by, by, by these and what you'll have to say. So the first one is uh, leadership is creating an intentional future that is different than it otherwise would have been. Expand on that. Yeah, yeah, it's really about seeing leaders seeing themselves as someone who can make a difference, who can make a different future, and it's in a, in a different way than it would have been without that leader. And it's not to say that it you know is profoundly better or that somebody else couldn't have done it better. It's just a leader can have a vision of of what they want to see the future to be and and work towards creating that. And that that really is leadership, whether it be an in a ward or a business or a family. Um, just having that vision. What's unique, you know, I, I get to see the contrast pretty pretty starkly, I guess, in how that plays out in different types of organizations. So with, you know, starting my business uh, at the same time I was, ca I was called, really yeah. the, the slate is clean. Like I can create my own vision of what that looks like and, and bring on a team that, that, that fulfills on that. Um, the church is a little bit different where we, you don't have a complete blank slate. Um, we have the, the vision of the church as a whole. We have the area vision, we have the stake vision and, and, uh, that, um, organization to work within and and both are great there's no no you know better or worse than either part it's just being being familiar with what that with that um what i don't know if constraints is the right word but um what we have to work within so as mm -hmm. bishop i my intention was to take the the vision as i understood it from these the the hierarchy the the church the area the um the stake and work with our ward council and and my own vision and and revelation of course to translate that to what does that mean for our ward 
Yeah. With vision, it's kind of tough because, it, you know, on paper or in the like academic books, you sort of get this, you know, this concept that's uh, not overly grounded or the, the application of it is kind of is missing. And so what did that look like in real life, like in ward council meetings or in sacrament meetings or whatnot, like establishing that vision or making sure that that there's a clear vision that you're pointing those you lead towards? Yeah, it, it, it can really be a, a simple thing. It's just what what do you see the future to look like? What, how do you want the war to be different in, in a year or five years or whatever um, you're looking at? Um, so an example of how that played out in, in our ward is I when I was first called as bishop, I, I felt strongly about focusing on loving God and loving your neighbor. And that, that sounds pretty, pretty um, common, pretty simple. Yeah. But really what I envisioned was in five years, we have a ward of people that had a greater love for, for God and, than, they, than they did at the beginning of that time. Yeah. And how that really translated is um, throughout my life, I've loved the quote by President Benson about how if we turn our lives over to God, he can make more of it than, than we can. And it, it goes on with a little more detail from there. And that, that really has struck me about how powerful it is to just be willing to turn our lives over to God and trust that he can make much more out of it than, than we can on our own. So my intention was to instill that vision in the ward and encourage people to um, to turn their lives over to God and um, as a way of demonstrating their love for him. Yeah, and then also with loving their neighbor as well, and specifically, um, in the the wording we use was making the neighborhood a welcoming and loving place. And there's, I don't want to paint any kind of broad strokes, but the, the dynamic in Utah can be, um, as I understand it, contrasted to other areas of the world where a lot of people have family in the in the in the areas, and so they rely less on the ward family as their connection they have their their family connections yeah or other parts of the world sometimes the word is the only only connections the only family they have so really my intention was to um create a more welcoming and loving environment where we you know of course our families are important but also create more of a award family ward and, and neighborhood and the the language of neighborhood was intentional to encompass you know not just the church members but um, all of our neighbors into that um into that vision yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I think the first step is what you've done is just like recognize that dynamic because a lot, I, f I felt this in, you know, living in Utah most of my life, um, that there's this feeling of, okay, we have the ministering brothers and sisters, you know, set up and there's sort of this, it almost feels like an obligation, like well, I should probably involve them and whatever I'm dealing with or family struggle, but I don't really want to, you know, and with me, my entire family is within you know, a 30 minute drive of where I live. And yeah, I turn to them, you know, when there's uh, a struggle or remember my, my mom had a health scare and she didn't necessarily turn to reward. She turned to us because we're all local and whatnot. And she really didn't have that need to fulfill. And so, but I love this, that you recognize like, yeah, that dynamic exists. So how can we push through it? Cause I've sort of in, in, in the past, I've sort of sort of shrugged my shoulders like, well, I don't know. I mean, they got the support. What what more can we offer? But I love this that you sort of push through that and say, okay, that's the case. And we, of course, we'd never discourage anybody to turn to their family for that support they need. But what can we offer as a ward? And what does that look like? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is the order of the church. So we're not trying to change that. Like, yeah. first go to your family. Um, and, yeah. You know, for example, welfare concerns, you first go to your family. Um, or if you need a blessing, yeah, go to your, if you have family right by, great, go to your family. But 
also be intentional about how can we also involve the world um, at the same time. So. Yeah, cool. Any um, like any stories or activities or fifth Sunday lessons that come to mind as far as how you executed that? Um, one in particular, there's a, a fifth Sunday lesson that we had um, fairly recently um, where the the focus was on love and unity and acceptance within the word. But the primary material for that lesson was understanding same-sex attraction. Mm. And that's something that the topic that's that's close to me. Um, my my brother's gay, and he grew up in the kind of the late '90s, early 2000s, where there wasn't a whole lot of, or there's less understanding and acceptance in there than there is today, and that had a big impact on him. And I've watched my my family's journey, and as he's um, he just married his longtime partner um, last summer, and we were there for that, and it's just been in, and they they live in. Cardston, Alberta, near my parents, where there's a lot, of, a lot of church members in the area. And it's been incredible to see the journey of, of my family and the community there just really rally around them and just love and accept them, um, even though they're, um, they're, they're not, not act, active in the church and they have that, um, and that life. But they, um, yeah, they see that love and acceptance. And we have a few few people in our ward who experience same-sex attraction in, um, in different ways. And I just felt really strongly about using that as material to, uh, to create that unity and acceptance and love um, within the ward. And it seemed to be <clears throat> really well-received as we, you know, focused on, on that unity and acceptance first and uh, but understanding the, the church doctrine and, and applying that as well. But it, that love and acceptance comes first as we, as we look at how we, we interact with our neighborhood and provide a environment where people feel welcome to be at church, um, regardless of what their, their circumstances are. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm learning as you, you say that is like that opportunity, especially maybe in, in Utah ward or a highly saturated Latter-day Saint area is you recognize the families there, but you've, from your personal experience. And, and again, you could have, you know, if it wasn't you that had the gay brother, or maybe it's someone in the ward that, that you sort of, um, encouraged to, to step into and, and, and share their experience. Right. And what you're doing there is you're saying, because there may be a family in the ward who's like, maybe they're struggling with this. They have a teenager that just came out and, and they think my family doesn't understand, or they haven't been overly helpful. And, but wow, you know, now the Bishop Olson, like, okay, it, it, this is part of his story. So now we can go to him and step into his, his world and, and get some support because he's maybe further down the path uh, than we are in our journey. And, that, and again, that, so just sort of like diving in, especially to those taboo topics that they can feel like at, at times. Yeah. And a, as a leader doing that, man, you sort of really open up of, of the support group that's available to the, the members of your ward. Yeah, that's really my intention in doing it. And there was two or three families who have, um, I guess in their cases, gay sons who mm -hmm. have felt you know, varying lo levels of lack of acceptance in the past. Um, and, you know, I'm sure n no ill intent, but by anybody involved, but they just, um, haven't, you know, felt, felt accepted and welcome in church or in, in other settings in their lives. And it was really my intention to bring, bring all them together. Um, you know, they, they actually attended, um, this lesson and, um, hopefully felt that hopefully felt that it's just, it's just about love and we want, we want you here. Um, regardless yeah. of, of, of what what stage you're at in, in your life or what, what your circumstances are or whatever. We just want, we just want you here. And 
yeah, we want everybody to feel welcome and loved. And is there anything you did, you know, I love this focus you mentioned earlier, like it was a, a neighborhood focus rather than a ward focus. And in Utah, typically the neighborhood is the ward, right? But, um, but I, I, I think that that shift is important where you're not just thinking about those who are showing up on Sunday or who are on the roll, but like in the neighborhood, because you're everybody's bishop technically, right? right. Um, and, and so what did that look like as far as reaching out and offering support to your neighborhood uh, even those that maybe weren't members of the church or, or who had stepped away from the church. Yeah, pretty much every, uh, I think every, I can't think of an exception, every word activity that we have, we would invite the whole neighborhood and be intentional about that. So when we, you know, put out flyer reminders um, for the, for the activity, we would put on every door, not just the word members doors. Um, and we had some, some traditions that we, we did year after year, like our, our fourth, fourth of July breakfast. Um, most years we had a, a spring barbecue type activity we have our, um, you know, Halloween, Christmas, uh, some of the traditional ones, and we had some um, great experiences with having people who aren't, mem- aren't members of the church or people who are haven't been active for a long time um, coming and participating and looking forward to those activities. Even you know, participating. A lot of people, um, even if they say they are not interested in in coming to church or investigating the church, they love to serve and they love to, you know, bring food as part of it or things like that. So um, yeah, we, we look to involve them as much as we could. Did you, did you feel like, because I feel this resistance sometimes being in Utah that you reach out to those people and they sort of, they're resistant because they're like, ah, I don't know, like, like creating that safety of like, no, really, you can come to this ward. We're not going to like casually place you by the missionaries or like push, you know, passive aggressively put some message on you. We just want you to come and bring the potato salad and enjoy your time here. Like, is there anything you did to help them feel more safe of? actually showing up at the activity yeah i think um, the, the biggest thing it's not like we you know put on the announcement that there's no pressure or things like that but it's more about the individual relationships that those people had with their neighbors um and you know i don't know how many people came just by seeing a flyer but um, if they had a neighbor who said hey you see that flyer you want to come join us and if they already have a relationship and they already had the experience of their neighbors not being pushy and not um not using that passive aggressive techniques like you said then I think that every every touch point um, reinforces that, hopefully. And yeah, I think you know, people come into a Utah ward, they know what um, what the demographics are in Utah, and they may some people may be kind of on edge and, and watching for that. But um, we at least intended to overcome that. Yeah, you know, there, we have uh, so many of these stories, like missionary stories, of like you know, I I took this Book of Mormon to work and gave it to this you know my coworker, and, and those are great, and hopefully those are happening. But I think we often skip over this process of like building the relationship to the point that you can actually offer them a Book of Mormon. And it's not incredibly awkward, right? And I'm just thinking like I often frame this in the context of like uh, mission or I'm sorry, uh, temple open houses, which we're going to have a lot of those regardless of where you live in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what are you doing today? You know, I, I'm in Twila County. We're about 18 months out from probably the our, our temple open house, right? And I'm often think like, what am I doing today so that in 18 months I can offer the invitation to the temple open house and it's not awkward, right? Or it's because that's, I think what makes it feel pushy or that you're, you're pushing the religion on is that I don't even know who you are and suddenly you show up at my doorstep and you're asking me to this activity or this open house or this like, and just the power of that casual chat at the mailbox or, you know, walking over as they water their lawn and just, you know, shooting the breeze for a while and 
establishing that that relationship so that when those invitations come up, it's not awkward because you've already have a, a relationship there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That reminds me of an experience we had early in the time I was called. We had a family of of six uh, move into our ward from, and I'm forgetting the the state, but somewhere in the east where you know, they weren't very familiar with the church, and they the the father took a job here in Utah, and they experienced people just reaching out immediately, and not from from a church perspective necessarily, but just from a neighborly perspective. Um, you know, I, I can't remember all the the different touch points that they had, but one of them was when I heard they were there. I, I just went over to say hi and asked what they might need, and they said, "Well, actually, we we could really use a broom. Like our our stuff isn't here yet, and we just have no way of of cleaning our floor." So I thought, "No big deal. I'll go grab a broom and, and take it over to them." And I heard um, actually several months later they re- remembered that as like a, a huge gesture that really made a difference to them, even though mm-hmm. to me it was it was really nothing. And um, I don't remember the timeline, but it was. Um, within a few months, um, they got they got baptized, and oh, cool. um, and they moved out a little little while later. But but it's an incredible unifying experience for the ward, and just seeing the impact of that that neighborly love can have. So. Yeah. Uh, next principle I have is one of one of a leader's most important role is creating other leaders around them, and that was probably uh, really crucial in this transition as you were. Uh, maybe helping the stake president think of names of the, of the new bishop and whatnot. Hopefully you had uh, fostered some leadership ability in the ward to to go to the next guy. So how, how did, what did that principle look like in your experience? Yeah, for me, it's really creating the environment and the opportunities for people to be involved and to um, develop their own experience and, and, and leadership. And it's, you know, it's not to say that a leader takes credit from, you know, for building someone from scratch, everybody comes with their, their experience and their their skills that they already have, but really really fostering the opportunity to develop that, and yeah, that was really um, present to me. You know, as I was coming to the end of my time as a bishop, is you know, there's many, you know, like we talked about earlier, many men who who could have stepped in, um, mm-hmm. who was specifically prepared, and, and what role could I have in in that preparation? And of course, I you know wouldn't know for sure what that looked like leading up to it, but in hindsight, it was pretty clear. Um, I had one thing my, my state president encouraged me to do early on was to um, switch out my counselors at, at times so that others would get be able to gain the experience. And also in, you know, looking at my time as a, as a bishop over five years as more of a marathon, and then um, the counselors could be more like a sprint where they um, you can burn burn them out and, and, and release them. But yeah, I had a couple that were released because they were, they moved out, but one counselor was with me for about three years and up until about 18 months ago. And I loved him. He was incredible, incredible support. We had a good routine going and I had no, no desire to, to release him. I wanted him to finish out with me, but I felt at that point really strongly prompted to, um, to release him and look for, for a different counselor. And very reluctantly, I started um, thinking and praying about that. And very clearly one of the men came to mind. And I'd known him. He was an um, incredible man. Just, again, one of those um, great men that we have many of in the ward. But I felt prompted to call him. And um, he was the one that was um, replaced me as bishop um, two weeks ago. And I can look back and see the experiences we had together. And um, n- not that I take any credit for it, but just the experiences he was able to have by being in that um, you know, being the bishopric for the first time um, for that year and a half was in you know great preparation for him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so, uh, was it, 
you said about three years. I mean, about halfway through, is you you swapped out your counselors? Yeah, at different times. So I had one move out okay. nine months in, another one move out about two and a half years in. Um, but the the one that I called after nine months was the one that was with me for the three years after that. And um, yeah, he was the only one that actually released from uh, without without being forced to, I guess, from, from yeah. moving out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is, uh, sometimes it's easy, you know, you want to create some consistency in your leadership experience. And so let's get some good people in these callings and keep them in there as long as possible. And then, um, you know, you saw this sort of as a missionary where we want to keep a missionary in an area as long as possible so that, you know, they're building relationships or, you know, they're getting a feel for the area and let's just keep that momentum going. Um, but at the same time, there's so many, you know, like we said, in these saturated wards, there's, um, there's so many people who could benefit from the experience. And in my, you know, being in a, um, inner city ward as Bishop, I think by the time I was done, I had seven or eight, like I had, I had had seven or eight total counselors during that time. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you're moving. Like, man, we just got you in here, you know, like, but at the same time, I think about all those men who are have now moved on different words and now they can offer a different type of strength through that experience because they've been in a bishopric or i know some of them are bishops at this point and i'm sure that time was a blessing to them and so i just love that like the shakeup uh maybe don't resist it as as quickly as as maybe you want to because we're offering other people these opportunities and at the end of the day i just have a hard time believing that you're really disrupting you know these different organizations and award by, by switching them out. But I think at the end of the day, the work gets done, the ordinances get, get delivered and, you know, we're, we're blessed for it. So. Yeah. And I think we're blessed in, in every aspect of it. You know, if things go smoothly yeah. and, and everything goes great, then yeah, that's, that's great. And when things don't go so smoothly and people mess up and all that, that's great too, because we're all, we're all learning from that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom too in the, the the order of the church where we have that consistency consistency in leadership between you know bishops typically for five years or so and state presidents for nine years or so um so that provides that consistency but mm-hmm. then within the within the organizations the more the more experience that can be gained during that time the better yep um anything else with this principle of uh of developing other leaders around you I don't want to skip over the um the idea of developing leaders in youth as well that's a big focus oh, cool. um, in the church and um, you know, with the, the new children and youth program, um, introduced during the t- my time as a bishop, just a lot of emphasis on, on letting the youth lead and not that, um, I, or the, the leaders I worked with were perfect in doing that, but, um, that was always our, our intention is to, um, give the, the youth as much experience as we can and let them, let them take the lead in the quorum class presidencies. Um, and that, that was a great experience to be able to see them. Um, to see them step up and see them fumble and and learn, um, so I think that's a really important part of you know, not just creating the the immediate ward leaders, but the future the future ward and stake and church leaders. Yeah, is there any example or like what what did that look like uh, in, in in any example that comes to mind? Yeah, I don't know if anything really uh, profound or special comes to mind. Just the the typical things that the the ward youth council and um, you know using that as a training opportunity we probably spent probably more time in actual training and and discussion about what the roles look like than we did on any kind of business or activities or 
planning or things like that. Cool. All right. The, the last principle is love is giving people space to show up like they're perfect as they are. And this goes back to some things you are talking about, just that message of love and acceptance and whatnot. So uh, how, how else does that manifest? Yeah, I think it's, it's really um, about each one of us and how we, how we look at others in that, in that idea of, you know, I think some, sometimes our tendency is to look with judgment and look with, you know, people, people's shortcomings or, or their, their sins or weaknesses or things like that. And, and what can we do to help? Sometimes we think that our, what service looks like is helping people improve. And I don't think that's really a useful way to look at it. If we, you know, it's up to us individually to improve ourselves and to work um, with our, with our savior on that, on that process of progression and improvement. And really, even, even as a bishop, my, my role in judgment is very, like, I see that as super limited, um, limited in that um, there's specific cases where I, you know, judge worthiness to um, go to the temple or um, in working with people in, in their progression and preparation um, for missions and things like that. So there's very, very limited where I, where I use judgment, um, but it's mostly, mostly just love, mostly um, knowing that almost everyone is always doing the best they know how to do at the time. And if we approach each other with that idea that everyone's doing their best, um, everybody is great where they're at and yes, we can all progress, but it's up to us to progress. It's not up to us to, to progress other people. Yeah. So I'm curious, like just how you navigated that at, at the more difficult times, right? The, Cause at the end of the day, there were moments where you had to sort of fully step into that judge in Israel, uh, you know, uh, persona and uh, make some tough decisions when it comes to individuals and repentance and those things. And so, cause I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm all for the, the acceptance and love and whatnot. Uh, but then there's mo those moments where it's like, no, there's something needs to change here. Right. And so how did you navigate that? And when did it get become tricky? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I ever really experienced it as tricky. I, I'd say for in, in most cases, people were much harsher judges on themselves than, mm, so than I would be or that, you know, as I felt the Lord would be. And so I, I don't feel like I had to really make tough decisions. It was more like walking them back, like say, yeah, here's what's happened. What can we do about it? But like, that's why we have the atonement. That's, I have, you know, a picture of um, the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane on my wall. And, you know, I can't count how many times I pointed to that picture. So this is, this is why he did that. Um, yes, we, we do our best and we don't want to um, intentionally um, plan to plan to sin, but when we do, that's, that's why we have the, the atonement. So really my, my approach was to, again, coming back to that love, love and acceptance, love first. Um, and sometimes in the first meeting, that's all it was, it was just love. And then maybe mm -hmm. in the next meeting, we'll talk about, okay, what can we do to progress? But yeah, just really starting out with that, yeah. um, that approach of love. I, I love that. This, like, there's no, sometimes there's this feeling of as a church leader, especially as a bishop, like I need to really make sure they're aware of how serious this is and what they've done is wrong. When in reality, they walk into that office knowing I've done something serious or this is, you know, I, I, this is, I need to, I need to face this and figure this out. And the bishop can easily just slip into that encouragement mode of like, Hey, listen, remember the, the atonement, like nothing is wrong here because he made everything right. Like yeah. this is exactly what needs to happen. And you know, there's nothing unfortunate about this and they want to prove, improve. You want to help them. And here we go. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the youth, there's opportunity for, for teaching as well. And even the youth, they understand, they, they know that they messed up and again, they probably think it's way more serious than, than, than I would see it or that the, the Lord would see it. Um, but there were times where we, we start with that, that love and acceptance, but also just, um, planting the idea that, yeah, this is, this is the, the first time or, or you're, <clears throat> whatever that might look like the conversation might be a little bit different if if it keeps keeps repeating and if you're intentionally um you know planning on sinning and repenting that that conversation will be a little bit different but that's like very rare i can hardly even think of a time where i've had to or felt like yeah. i need to have that conversation so. yeah any like i mean it's it's it can be so diverse as far as the approaches when it comes to like repentance and how you approach that individual who walks in your office and whatnot but um I've just found that people's experience with that repentance process, especially in the bishop's office, can be all over the map. Um, and so not that you figured it out or you have the five-point plan that works every time, but like what was your general approach, especially with youth who walk in there and they're there to repent? My experience, and not that it was an intentional approach, I just attempted to um, to you know feel the situation feel their sincerity feel what the lord would have me say and i was almost always surprised at how 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 much quicker and how much easier the repentance process is than than i would have guessed or that the especially the the youth would have known often it was they they tell me afterwards or the the end of the meeting like there's such a relief like this is way 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 more pleasant, way easier, not nearly as hard as they, they thought it might be. And it's not to make light, of course, of, of, of sin, but it's like, it's a reminder of how forgiving the Lord is. And we, we have the savior and he, he is anxious to forgive us. All we, all we need to do is, you know, come with a broken heart and a contrary spirit and be doing our best. And you know, he's, he's so quick and anxious to forgive us. Yeah. That's powerful. So your release, have you got a new, a new calling? Um, nothing yet. No. No. Okay. He's on, we've got a free agent in uh, daybreak. So the word is, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your, your stake president has all sorts of plans or your new bishop, right? So I don't know. I, I joke with my bishop that I don't, the new bishop, and that I don't aspire at all, but I do aspire to be the primary pianist. That's what my, my <laughs> oh, call really? before I was called. And I'd love to go back to that, but, but don't tell the current pianist. I'm sure she would oh, be yeah. happy about that. But. <laughs> There's a passive aggressive war for the piano in, in primary. So exactly. that's cool. Well, uh, the last question I have for you is just reflecting on these these past five years or so being the bishop being the leader how has that experience of being the leader helped you become a better follower of jesus christ i think part of it comes back to recognizing how merciful the lord is and recognizing how feeling that love through me that he he has for his children and um, you know just being being recommitted myself into to following him and to recognizing and feeling that love and then uh, communicating that love to other people. I think that the idea of love and the feeling and, and understanding better the love of God is probably, probably one of the biggest things that, that comes to mind. And that concludes this How I Lead 
interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this, this experience. And this is how we, how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to access our full Liberating Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.